Hallelujah. You guys ready to go? I'm ready. All righty. Thank you, Terry. John, run up here real quick. Hallelujah. Glory to God. I almost did it two weeks in a row. I have been begging for testimonies of people from the fasting that uh, the Lord's blessed in some area of their life. And John's got a testimony for us this morning. Thank you, John. Um, my expectations were a little different than what I received. When uh, I entered into the fast along with everybody else, and most of us had read the book about um, a 21-day fast or even just fasting in general. And uh, my expectations were kind of linked to what was put forth in the book. Not that there was error, but in my particular case, I believe there were some other issues that the Lord wanted to deal with me personally about. And um, it really benefited my relationship. I went into the fast with uh, the expectation of receiving um, answers to some questions that I had laid before the Lord. And I have no doubt that, you know, I will probably get those answers. But the, the primary thing that I received was the fact that um, we really shouldn't deal with the Lord in a presumptive fashion. In other words, you know, Jesus is really driving the bus, and we really need to listen to what he says and to be humbly receiving that message. Um, we're, we're all kind of prideful by nature, and oftentimes we don't even realize how far-reaching it really is until we're in a position where um, we can be humbled. And that's what the whole thing about the fast is, is that we're, we're dealt a little humility. And it's a, a good reality check. And it's something that I intend to uh, pursue yet even further. But um, God's been gracious, and that has been a tremendous blessing. And I'm expecting even greater things yet. Man, but man. Uh, anything that improves my relationship with the Lord is a great treasure to me. Amen. And it's also, you know, something that, that Peter mentioned that judgment begins at the house of God. And it, it begins with us, and it works out inwardly out to those that we touch every day. And uh, I fully expect that uh, God's going to touch a lot of people after he touches us. Amen. Thank you, John. Some of you may not know, but uh, when John and I... Uh, in our late teen years, first received Christ, we fellowshiped together. We traveled together in ministry, and, and the Lord used us together. And it's such a blessing at this stage in life to still be continuing on for the Lord together. It's, I consider that a great treasure. Amen. Hallelujah. Matthew chapter 6. From what is termed Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Our Father. Matthew 6, beginning in 6, down to verse 13. Jesus said, But whenever you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. 
Let me just pause for a moment and doesn't that phrase just grab you that the Father is wanting to meet us in prayer so that He can reward us as we pray? So your Father who sees in secret will reward you. When you pray, do not babble repetitiously like the Gentiles because they think that by their many words they will be heard. Do not be like them, for your Father knows that He knows what you need before you even ask Him. Jesus goes on to say, So pray this way, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, at the very beginning of this year, we started with a 21-day fast seeking a new reset in God based on the Lord's number one principle of faith. In 2 Chronicles 7.14, we all know it. If my people, then I will. And that is that element on which true faith reaches God. If my people, then I will. So last week, we, we took this corporate mandate, and I call it a corporate mandate because you hear the plural, if my people, then I will. So we took that corporate mandate last week and we brought it to a personal level in last week's message saying that if you will confront your private daily challenges like David confronted the lions and the bear in his private life when nobody was watching, and if you will confront your daily private challenges with your fellowship with God in prayer, then God will lead you to victories in the larger public battles of life. And that was last week as we, we took that mandate, if my people, then I will, down to a personal level. But today, we want to learn through what is referred to as the Lord's Prayer, which I just read to you out of Matthew 6. We want to learn how to take this reset and apply it to our lives on a daily basis, not a weekly basis. The church that lives from Sunday to Sunday not only is not going to achieve the goals God has for it or overcome or expand, it's not going to survive. Jesus calls for a daily walk with him. And so through learning what is called the Our Father, or the Lord's Prayer, we learn to apply a reset to our life every single day. As the Bible says, those that seek me early shall find me. Let me say this to you. Jesus did not only teach people that they ought to pray. Jesus taught people how to pray. There is a how-to in prayer. <clears throat> now, the ancient Jewish rabbinical orders used to construct their own prayer for their particular group of disciples. And uh, so did John the Baptist. 
Because what is called the Lord's Prayer was taught early on in his ministry uh, there on the hillside when Jesus was given. Today it's very popular to say prayer is talking to God. How many of you have heard it? Prayer is just talking to God. You've probably said to people, when people said, well, how do you pray? Oh, just talk to God. Just aim your conversation at God and include Jesus in your conversation. But our modern method of praying, just talking to God, strengthens the misconception that my life is reality and God wants to help me out with it. Let that sink in for a moment. The concept that reality is what I am experiencing in life and my prayer is all about trying to get God into the reality of my experience. And that is reinforced, that idea, with the notion that prayer is talking to God. We should never tell people, just talk to God. Because prayer is so much more than that. And so we are going to take apart the Lord's Prayer. We're not going to get into minutiae and uh, get bogged down in detail. But I want to say a few things this week and next week about this and about the Lord's Prayer that will, I think, help you and perhaps maybe open the windows of your prayer life and let some of the freshness of the Lord's thoughts come in. <clears throat> Unlike the idea that's usually taught today, prayer's just talking to God. When Jesus taught prayer, Jesus' teaching on prayer has God as the center of reality and the starting point of prayer. And life is in Him. And prayer is how you get into His reality and how you get into His life. That is completely different from, oh, just talk to God about your life. And, and he's eager to jump into your life and, and affect it. The practice of just talking to God usually doesn't bring results because the person praying never transitions from their reality to God's reality. Their whole concept in approaching God in prayer is based on a misconception. In other words... If your life is under attack and you aim your rifle out the window and shoot in the wrong direction, prepare to be broken in and attacked. You're not going to hit the target. Not that we shoot at God, but you, you get the idea that there is an aiming and there's a target and we need to be in the right direction. So just talking to God just simply reinforces the fact that life is all about you and you, you don't even start in the right universe of thought. The starting point of Jesus' prayer is God, not us. His prayer builds on His kingdom, not our circumstances. His prayer focuses on His truth, not our ideas. The beginning word of the Lord's Prayer is our, our Father. In the Lord's Prayer, we come to the Father as a community. I want you to capture this this morning. 
because our emphasis today, and, and I, I can't see that it's wrong, it's, it's just that it, it doesn't really embrace the fullness of what Jesus is trying to teach us. Our emphasis today is the individual believer, me. Most of the time our teaching and our preaching is aimed at trying to help people leave the service with a, with a better set of tools and thoughts and ideas to help them improve their life. And I don't want to say anything that I'm about to say this morning in a way that undermines your confidence that the Lord loves you personally or cares about your life. So just hear me out today that this is not intended to take anything away from that, but to really raise you up and to help you see a better way of seeing yourself the Jesus way. So the Lord's Prayer comes to the Father as a community, our Father. The more we pray like Jesus, representing the needs of other people more than our own needs, the more we'll see the Father's powerful answers to those prayers. Now, it's not that my Father is inappropriate. It's <clears throat> simply that our Father is usually a better setting, a better context for setting the stage for prayer. It is different. I often come to the Lord, my Father. And I know there is appropriate time and place. But when Jesus answered their question, he said, our Father. And there's a different orientation when we say, our Father. Starting with the word our reminds me, I'm part of a body. There's a bigger plan than what may have driven me to prayer that morning. There's a greater mission than the one that I'm primarily interested in. And there's greater grace and power for that greater mission and that greater plan. And it also reminds me when I begin with our Father, it reminds me that my answers are usually going to involve God working through others. So I position myself in a much better place to have God answer when I say, Our Father. And I come to the prayer altar as a member of a community and in behalf of that community. It basically reminds me that a rising tide lifts all boats. The second word in the prayer is Father, our Father. It's not wrong to say, oh God, and we often say, oh God, but he is God to the unsaved as well as God to the saved, but he's only Father to you. Again, it's better. It says more. There is an intimacy to that word, Father. When prayer begins with the acknowledgement that God is my Father, I'm immediately humbled in a way that God, the term, doesn't quite get me there. Um, I'm immediately repositioned in heavenly grace 
our Father. I'm immediately filled with gratitude. And I'm immediately struck with awe as confidence begins to rise in me simply by addressing God as my Father. My Father. The awe and the confidence begins to rise up. When I begin to worship the Lord, having not taken a step in prayer beyond the second word, our Father, I start to unpack all the scriptures that I've learned and memorized in my mind and in my heart about being a child of God, a child of the Father in Christ. I start confessing them. I start speaking them. I'm, a, I'm, I'm coming to the Lord as my Father, and I'm just speaking, Lord, I thank you. You have sent the Spirit of your Son into my heart, crying, Abba, Father. I thank you that I worship you according to 1 Corinthians chapter 2 with an understanding that you have given me. I approach you as my Father. I get into Jesus' intercessory prayer in John 17, Father, that they may be one as I am in you and you in me. I am at that second word in prayer, Father, and I really just get lost there. I oftentimes have to stop myself to move on in that prayer. And i got to tell you, as I unpack those scriptures in my memory about being a child of God in Christ, I could stay right there at that place because the more I worship Him as Father, the more I realize all my answers are right there. Before I even get to the petition, the answer is loving me. Hallelujah. I have to move on, but, uh, you know, I just want to say this, that um, I have said this many times, probably more times than you have. How do you pray more than five minutes? How can you pray so long? I hear about these guys that pray for an hour, two hours, four hours before the sun comes up, and I'm like, how do you do that? Because when prayer is, oh God, I come to you, and you've got this list. Once you're through the list, you're done. You can't see, well, you know, this, this doesn't take me five hours to get this out. What are they doing in there? <laughs> but when you understand how Jesus taught prayer, our Father, and you can't get past Father. See, you're in a whole different universe. You're in the reality of, of the Father's love for you and your love for Him. And it's, it's a lot of time, and you haven't even gotten to the requests. Hallelujah. That's how, you, that's how you can spend time with the Lord. The next step is our Father in heaven. Well, what I'd like to say about that is that all my problems are on the earth. And none of them exist in heaven. But all my answers come from there. There's an orientation. Paul wrote about it in Colossians. It's a tremendous verse in Colossians 3. If you then be risen with Christ, 
Seek those things which are above, where Christ sits at the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth, for you are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. When I worship my Father in heaven, I awake to where I'm really living. As I press through the day in my busyness, fighting the challenges and responding to all the needs, sometimes at the end of the day, you can feel dead. People sometimes will come home and say, I'm dead tired. You can feel the lack of life in driving your existence through the daily process of living. But when you go into the presence of the Lord in prayer, you then wake up and realize, this is life. I feel alive. Because you are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. That's what he said in Galatians, Paul, when he said, uh, I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live, I live through the faith of the Son of God. Jesus is above. All my answers are above. All Everything that I want and crave is in heaven. And none of my problems exist up there. Jesus said in John's Gospel, chapter 3, The one who comes from above is superior to all. The one who is from the earth belongs to the earth and speaks about earthly things. But the one who comes from heaven is superior to all. There is such a difference when we center, begin, and build our prayer from an earthly perspective rather than a heavenly. One is, is rooted where all the problems are. The other begins with the answer and where none of the problems exist. Next, Jesus says, hallowed be your name. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. To hallow means to separate, to sanctify, to set apart as superior, as special, as holy. Now, all of those wonderful compound covenant names of God in the Old Testament, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord is my provider. Jehovah Nisi, the Lord is my righteousness. Jehovah Sidkenu, the Lord is my righteousness. I'm sorry, Jehovah Nisi is the Lord is my banner. You, some of you theologians should have jumped up and corrected me, right? That was your, was your opportunity. I deliberately put that mess up in there to give you a... Jehovah Shalom, the Lord is my peace. Hallelujah. Jehovah Rohi, the Lord is my shepherd. Hallelujah. Jehovah Makedesh, the Lord is my sanctification, my sanctifier. All those fabulous compound covenant revelatory names of God are all consolidated into the name of Jesus. The author of Hebrews writes in the third chapter in the beginning that the, that the invisible, almighty God revealed himself in the name of Jesus. That's why that name is the name above every name. Up till that point, God was for the most part a mystery to the earth. His ways, mysterious. When Jesus came, 
He was God unveiled. He was God revealed. He was standing in front of Philip and by extension in front of you and I saying, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. That's why all authority is given to the name of Jesus because every mercy, every healing, every need, all the leadership for, all the need for a shepherd, all of that, salvation, deliverance, lordship, the kingdom, is all invested in the revelation of Jesus. That name is the name above every name. And so Jesus was saying to the disciples, knowing the tendency of life to cause us to be immersed in daily struggles and drag us down, that we need daily to separate the name of Jesus and get it back up there in our minds where it truly exists. You can run through life and say, Jesus, 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 all day long. But if in your heart that name is not hallowed, if you have not taken the time in your mind to learn what the Scripture says about the name of Jesus, and if in your heart you have not separated the name of Jesus so that you see Him as representing the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom that is above, and He is just Jesus who is relevant to you so far as He is involved in your earthly circumstances, then when you say the name of Jesus, it lacks the holiness. It lacks the effectiveness, and it's going to lack the power in prayer. We curse, and we misuse and take the name of the Lord in vain in many ways that we're not even aware of. And I say we, because I include myself in this correction, we need to hallow the name of Jesus. We need to take the time every day when we say our Father was in heaven, hallowed be your name, to go through an exercise, if you will, of saying to the Lord in prayer, you are my Jehovah Sid Canoe. And as I think about the Lord being my righteousness, I tell him, Lord, I'm so appreciative that when there was not a work that I could do to make me, myself acceptable to you, you took lashes upon your back. You went to that cross. You laid your life down. You became my right standing before God when I had no way or hope of ever making myself right before God. I think about that when I say Jesus. I worship and I hallow the name of Jesus. If you want the name of Jesus to be powerful on your lips, then you have to take time to build a reservoir in your heart where that name of Jesus is large and you have taken the time to learn what the Word says about the name of Jesus so that you are speaking that name and you're not taking it in vain, but you're speaking it in a holy manner. Amen? So setting apart the name of Jesus as being holy really lifts you up into the graces that that name reveals. And it connects you with the Lord your shepherd, the Lord your healer. When you hallow that name and worship that name, you, you come into a connection with the great I am. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 10, But by the grace of God... I am what I am. And if I could maybe restructure that sentence so that it isn't a casualty of today's phraseology. Because in today's phraseology, people would read that and say, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And people need to just accept me for what I am. 
Do you understand how, how the, the momentum of that phrase in today's thinking becomes an endorsement of individuality and the celebration of individuality and it, and it sticks people in the concrete of this is the way I am. God loves me, so get over it. You understand it's the very antithesis of the call of the gospel. But what Paul said was meant a different way. He said, I am that which I am by the grace of God. By the grace of God, I am what I am. What grace is calling me to, that is the true me. I forsake the me that is not the me that grace has created in order to take hold of the me that grace is making me. That's a choice. And so when we hallow the name of Jesus, we are stepping away from the idea that, well, I am what I am and God loves me and that's... And we are stepping into that higher place. I am that person that God sees me to be through the grace of Jesus. And how do you appropriate that through hallowing the name of Jesus? Let me go on. The next thing he said was, your kingdom come. Your will be done in earth as it is in heaven. You know, I'm going to take a minute this morning um, and, and break this down for you because it's, this is the other place in the prayer where I get stuck. I could just go on all day and have to... This, to me, is a gigantic room in this prayer house, if you will. Your kingdom come, your will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Let me just say this to you, and I'll only mention a couple of things. God has a perfect will through which all of heaven's power flows. It's called the kingdom of God. If you want a definition of the kingdom of God, that's about as good as I think it can get. God has a perfect will through which all heaven's power flows. That is the kingdom of God. Now, the kingdom of God first arrived in heaven when Jesus rose triumphant over Satan and over sin. It was prophesied in Psalm 24, verse 7, when the psalmist wrote, Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be lifted up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. I don't have the time this morning, and I don't want to uh, distract from this beautiful point to go into the theology, but let me just say to you today, there was a point of time in heaven dating back over 2,000 years ago when things changed. You have but to read the book of Job to find out that Satan was able to go up into heaven and accuse people. Heaven was a place of turmoil, of conflict. God, His will being challenged because we who were made in His image and likeness had sinned. And because of it, we were accusable before God. And the enemy taking advantage of those accusations was able to go before God and speak against us. And the Lord in His merciful loving kindness 
endured it, put up with it, knowing that one day he himself would come and overturn and take away the devil's right and rise up. When that day came, the Bible says that Jesus rose up and the blood of Jesus rose up with him to be applied to the mercy seat. And the scripture says that when that happened 2,000 years ago, the gates of heaven were lifted and the doors flew open wide and said, Here is the King of glory. Who is he? He is in a rhetorical question. The gates shouted out, not because they didn't know who the King of Glory was, but because they just wanted to hear it said. They just wanted, you know, heaven loves Jesus. He is the fulfillment of all things good. He is the promise of the Father made good. And so heaven said, who is this King of Glory? The gates were lifted up, the doors were opened, and in he walks. Lift up your head, O ye gates. Be lifted up, O everlasting doors. Now I want to pick this up in Revelation chapter 12 and 10. We have a little picture of what happened in heaven when Jesus rose up. And the Bible says, I heard a loud voice saying in heaven. Now imagine the gates have just been lifted. The doors have been opened. Jesus freshly risen from the tomb. And the Bible says, I heard a loud voice crying. Now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. And it goes on in the next verse and says, His voice will never again be heard in heaven. And that's because the intercessor, the advocate intercessor, entered heaven. And God said, I never again have to listen to the devil bring an accusation because the advocate, whoever lives to make intercession, has risen up and sits upon the throne. And his blood speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Heaven changed that day, and on that day, the kingdom of God arrived in heaven. Whatever the kingdom of God is, it came first through heaven's gates and heaven's doors. As Jesus sat upon the throne. Now Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen, has his disciples say to him, Teach us to pray. He said, pray like this, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Oh, the key to having the will of God done and the kingdom of God done here in the sphere of my earthly life and influence has its secret in me learning how it arrived in heaven. Because how it arrived in heaven and how it was settled in heaven, if I could get that to happen in the influence in the sphere of my life, then his kingdom can come here and his will can be done here. And the accuser can be cast out. Some Christians spend their lives in patterns of behavior, in cycles of failure, 
constantly having the accuser nipping at their heels. Every day they fight off the accusations about what they're falling short in and what's happening. Where is that victory that the Christian is supposed to be walking in? Jesus said it's possible. You can get there in prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done. When the kingdom comes, the accuser's cast out. His voice never again to be heard. Why? Because the advocate intercessor has entered in, has sat down upon the throne and reigns. Jesus said, when you pray, pray your kingdom come, your will be done in earth as it is in heaven. When it came in heaven, the devil's days were over. He's never going to go back up before God speak. The, the Father has never listened to a word Satan has said from that day to today, and he never will. And Jesus said, you can have something like that in the earth that is your life. So when you pray, let me just say to you, this is a whole teaching in and of itself, but let me just say to you that when you pray, worship Jesus, be the gate, and be the door. Lift up the gates of your stewardship. When I am praying and having my time of prayer in the morning with the Lord, I know that I have to reset from the previous day. And so I know that the kingdom of God must come into Tuesday because I can't live off Monday's manna. Are you listening to me? So on Tuesday morning, I lift up my head and I say, Father, I open the gate of my stewardship as a husband to Kathy. I open the gate of my stewardship as a father and a grandfather to my family. I open the gate and lift up the gate and open the doors of my stewardship as a pastor to Faith Christian Church. And I name some of you. As a, as a servant to these people, I also worship the Lord and I, I lift up my gate, if you will, and open the door as a steward with an ambassadorship to the city of Clearwater where the Lord is. I have various layers of stewardship. I have learned to view my life and its relationships and responsibilities as levels of stewardship that God has given me that I am answerable to Him for. And if every day I will come before Him and say, Your kingdom come, Your will be done in earth. I worship You, Jesus, and just like the gates that were lifted up on that day 2,000 years ago, come in, King of glory. I proclaim Jesus as Lord over my marriage. I welcome Jesus to enter in as Lord over my father and grandfatherhood, over my pastorate of Faith Christian Church, over the ambassadorial responsibilities I have to this city. And I know those are the things that the devil fights me over. I know those are the areas Satan wants to enter in and stay and abide as an accuser and constantly speaking accusatory, uh, 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 accusatorially. I think I just invented a new word to add to the evangelistic lexicon. But you get the idea. 
saying thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, without any conscious connection whatsoever to your responsibility as a steward for the areas of life you possess, is wasting your time in prayer. It's not doing anything. God is not going to move from his throne. You're not going to see the kingdom of God upright just because you say, oh, your kingdom come, your will be done. Because once again, that is based on the idea that I am centered here in my little reality and world, and I'm trying to get God to just, by magic, come into it and do His thing. But God works through the faith, which is based in understanding your position in Christ, of men and women who painstakingly take the time to understand their relationship with God. And then they pray in that relationship. By the time you have finished the Lord's Prayer, you're straightened out. You're corrected. You are reoriented. If you need to be flipped right side up, you're, you don't have to pray over all these different details. You get corrected and readjusted just by realigning yourself with the truth. Can you say amen? Amen. I got one more, and I know that we've run out of time, but I got one more, and I've got to get it out this morning. Give us our daily bread. Once again, we end today on the note that we begin, that we come to prayer as a community. You may hear me say a couple things here that may really shock and surprise you, but um, I think that if you... Open up your heart and receive them in the, in the spirit of the kingdom of God. You'll understand them. You, you'll realize I haven't lost my mind. We, we come to prayer as a community. And so Jesus said, we pray, give us our daily bread. And... As a community, we are petitioning heaven just as Jesus did in behalf of the needs of others. Remember Jesus said, you don't have to be repetitious in Babylon in prayer because your Father already knows what you need. And He's already predisposed to grant it to you, to give it to you. But what does He need from you and I? He needs a community intercessor. He needs a member of the body of Christ who will pray for the body of Christ. He needs a, an agent, an ambassadorial agent of the city and the community and the world that you live in to come before him on behalf of that city, that community, and that world. It's not that we can't pray for our own needs. That's not it. But the more we allow the pressure of our own needs to drive us into into self-interest in our prayers, the less effective we become, the more we run the risk of missing the true power that could come through the answers of prayer. I want you to think about your daily bread. My, my daily, I thought about it that, and I think about it because when Jesus prayed, he always took the position of the intercessor for others. Trusting himself. What did he say at the, at the tomb of Lazarus? Father, I know that you always hear me. 
my natural bread comes to me courtesy of God's blessing upon the process that blesses others. From natural elements to human industry, provisions make their way to me. Things have gone well for others before they go well for me. Is it not so? The unselfish prayer for the provision and prosperity of others is God's way of blessing me. If the Lord is going to bless me with a new car, trust me, many other people before that blessing ever reaches me were blessed to have a job that built and assembled that car. Along the way, that provision has touched many lives. A rising tide lifts all boats. God doesn't usually bless us in a way that completely and totally excludes other people. So to pray that our community would be blessed is a Jesus kind of prayer. So give us this day our daily bread. Close your Bibles and stand with me this morning. We'll pick this up because there's a few other points, and I know that you're a sharp bunch, and you probably have thought ahead, uh-huh, there's the forgive our debts and sins as we forgive others, lead us not into temptation. What's he going to say about that? You'll have to come back next week to find out. But um, could, we, could we say this morning that there is something to learn about how to pray that will make your fellowship and your walk with God, indeed your very life with God, much more effective, much more fruitful. And I don't think of all the things that you could possibly learn from the Bible about how to live your life, I don't think there's a particular subject greater than the subject of prayer that will have more of an impact upon your life and, and yield greater results. Um, so my prayer today is that, that the Lord will open your heart and really encourage you and help you to take what you've heard today and chew on it and think about it and ask the Lord to open His Word up to you about these things so that your time with Him can really be wonderful. The kind of thing that you are like, Jesus, I got to go. So I don't say goodbye for now. Let's just continue this in the car. You just stay in that communication, that communion with the Lord. I'll tell you what's going to happen when you start doing this. You're going to fast more often. You're going to find yourself in the middle of the day, in the middle of doing something, having your heartstrings pulled by the Holy Spirit, tears coming to your eyes as you think about His love, feeling His hand on your shoulder when you're in the middle of a situation. There's no more wonderful feeling 
than to feel clean. That awesome feeling that I would welcome anybody into my home to see how I live, to examine my life. I've got nothing to hide. I feel right, and I am right with God. It's a humble, wonderful, blessed place to be in. It's the place the Lord has called all of us to. And so you will experience this more and more and, uh, as, as you walk this out before the Father. Amen? Amen. Let's bow our heads in prayer.